today I, we have Andy and Kaylin. What are we talking about today? Tennis. Okay. Very special, a special occasion uh, because Andy, you can you briefly describe what happened this afternoon? Yeah. So I've been following the French Open, uh, which is happening on right now, and Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal met in the semifinals in a clash. Uh, first seed, third seed. I thought it was historic because um, it's been a while since they met, I think. Maybe. Anyways, Probably. whenever they meet, I think it's going to be a great match. So. Yeah. Yeah. So can you describe the outcome of that match and what you were experiencing as you were watching it? Yeah, so I missed the first two sets. Nadal took the first set 6-3. I think he was up 5-0 at one point. Um, in the first and set, that's right. In the first set, yeah. And so it looked like he was just going to steamroll again through, um, and Novak was just going to seed, uh, succumb to him. But then he he came back, won the second set, Novak did, 6-3. So they traded sets. Yep. And then I joined, I started watching during the third set um and uh it went to a tie break 6-6 and Novak won that uh I think 7-5 or so 7-4 and I was like wow ecstatic he was uh, up two sets to one uh I guess I'm a little biased towards Novak I wanted the underdog to win Hmm. and uh yeah, he he I think was down a break in the fourth. Uh Nadal was up 2-0, but then Djokovic came back, started acing and doing his thing, playing aggressive. Yeah. And yeah. uh won 6-3 three or something. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Kaywin, did you get to see the match? I did see like the last 5 points. <laughs> I don't okay. know if it captures the entire uh, fourth set. You saw the last five points live? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was sad. Just watching watching Nadal kind of crumble kind of towards the end. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I saw highlights, a 24-minute video highlight. Uh, so I saw what happened for Nadal to go up 5-0, for Novak to come back and win three games, lose the first set, win the second set, and he just, man. And then the the crazy thing about that third set is that I think the clock, the match clock showed that the first two sets took an hour and 50 minutes, which is already pretty long. But I think by the end of the third set, it, the, the clock read like three hours and 50 or four hours and so, something crazy like that. Like I think the, mm-hmm. the third set was over an hour and a half long, almost as long as the first two sets combined, which is just insane. Um, and the tiebreaker was crazy because Nadal lost this one point that could have clinched, um, that would have given him a lot more momentum in the tiebreaker. And, uh, after that third set, I feel like he just started to mentally crumble. So, which is so rare. I, I was like, so sure that he would come roaring back. He's going to fight back. Yeah. Cause that's, that's much of who Rafael Nadal is. Yeah. So, wow. You must have been, you must have been just 
you must have been in sh shock and awe seeing that third set live and not knowing what the outcome would be. Yeah, I actually um, turned it off in the tiebreak because I was on my <laughs> way to tennis. And oh, uh, my friend texted me saying, yo, man, you want to like wait until like seven and uh, let let this match play out. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. When okay. I turned it on, it was seven six, and I, uh, I thought it was still in the tiebreak, but then it was actually just like that, the uh, the game, game score. score. Yeah, oh. I was like, oh, there's it's match po uh, game point here. Dang. That point, no. I see. I see. Okay, so uh, with this historic win, and and, and actually, it's based on the score it doesn't look that huge, but if you listen to Novak in his post-match interview. He actually said, you know, he played phenomenal tennis today and it's probably one of the top three matches of his career, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and apparently he is only, he's the, he's the only person to ever beat Rafael Nadal on clay twice, which is kind of crazy, you know, just a crazy stat in and of itself. Um, so I... <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> including including Nadal. Today? Yeah, yeah. If you count today's win, he's the only person to beat Nadal twice on clay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this is the first time Nadal has lost at Roland Garros in six years. So apparently he lost once in 2009, once in 2015, and now 2021. So he's on track to lose once every six years <laughs> but um yeah so this this raises a question that i think everyone in tennis keeps debating but um who is the goat who is the greatest of all time did your opinions change after today's match what is your opinion in the first place um let's start with kaywin do you have an opinion on who the greatest of all time is in men's tennis my heart belongs to Federer okay that's all you have to say yeah just like you know if you were born in Semper's time even though in terms of the number of majors that he's won in his career mm -hmm. you know it's just a seal on that era that no one else can replace yeah yeah Okay, now how about you, Andy? Yeah, I guess uh, I only started following tennis probably uh, when I started playing in uh, high school, 2007 to 2010. Uh -huh. um, I think Federer was uh, He was dominant it. during that yeah. time. Yeah, he was killing it. Um, on the women's side, it was Justine Ennen, both of them European one-handed for our backhands um all uh all court kind of game mm -hmm. very cool um but I, I guess over time i've just seen roger just get shakier and shakier mm -hmm. um and uh these uh majors are coming uh less frequently uh each time so uh greatest of all time um I think the person who's going to have the most majors is probably going to be Djokovic. Um, I think he is very good on hard, hard court and 
there's two grand slams per year on the hard courts. Mm. Um, so I think he'll probably get it. And he's the youngest. Um, is he the greatest? I don't think he has the most beautiful style. Um, I think Roger has the most beautiful and attacking style. Um, it's just in inspiring. Also, Nadal has a very distinctive style too. Um, would I say he's the greatest? I think his game works very well. And then he, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he, he's the greatest tennis player, no, of all time. Hmm. So, so I would probably say Roger still. Okay, okay. I, I want Roger to be considered the greatest. Yes, yes. Okay, I am with you guys there. I subjectively, personally, like Roger the most. Uh, he was the he was the first person I saw when I started watching tennis. I saw his legendary tweener live on TV. Mm. Um, U.S. I, Open two thousand nine against Djokovic. Yes, against Djokovic. Oh, that was amazing. Um, watch the YouTube clip if you get a chance. Mm -hmm. I. I think most of us would agree that he plays the most beautiful tennis, most elegant. I, I think maybe, I think the hard part about this question is how you define greatest. But if you define greatest as most talented or most beautiful, I think Roger takes the cake. Um, but where he has just amazing talent he lacks in consistency and mental toughness which is where i think rafa and Djokovic both have the edge on um if you try to if you try to be a statistician in terms of greatest and look at numbers stats and like awards uh, yeah probably probably Djokovic if you define greatest as like, you know, the tennis player that you should try to imitate as you are learning tennis. Maybe Djokovic takes that as well, just out of sheer consistency mm -hmm. um, and like solid strokes. But I yeah, don't know. his his strokes look pretty like simple, like the, standard, the, right? The mechanics yeah. are like good. Yeah, Roger has some some uh, pretty talented whip action. That's yeah. hard to hard to do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I would, I would agree with all of these assessments. And when I think about both Nadal and Djokovic, I think of them more as like you know really good athletes. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Federer kind of transcends like a tennis athlete. He mm. brought so much to the game between yeah. like the two eras, you know, the, the American players kind of transitioning to like, you know, the European. And when I think about like Rafa's, you know, muscles and Djokovic endurance and flexibility, you know, Federer doesn't really have any, you know, natural um, phys physical abilities. I mean, he's definitely very coordinated and all that, but he doesn't have that like obvious physical gift. Um, that the other two have, but, mm. and he also went through, I think the greatest like psych psychological transformation from like very angry teenager to, 
being so composed in his adult career. So mm -hmm. I think that's a great story too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I. Yeah, his his he what he doesn't have that physical grittiness, but he definitely makes up for it with. I guess I don't I don't know what the word is, what word is like his tennis IQ or his game sense. Yeah, uh, just so effortless. You you can't really tell that he's trying that hard compared to the other two. Uh, yeah. It just looks like he's doing what he he's just you know so talented in playing tennis. Yeah, yeah. He's the most naturally greatest. I don't know if that's the right, right way to put it, but yeah. Hmm. So we're pretty much all in agreement. There's a, <laughs> there's no controversy. We're not I'm... arguing <laughs> with each other at all. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we're all, I think we would all agree with the statement that Feder is the subjectively greatest of all time. Because at the end of the day, I don't think there's really an objective way to say greatest. You know, even if Djokovic wins 21 Grand Slams and Federer just wins 20. Yeah. And know. he's already got like top number one uh, most weeks or something. Yeah. I. It's like I, I. there are still people who don't like most people are not going to say, oh, that makes Djokovic the greatest. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Greatest is an interesting word. It doesn't mean you're the most winningest. It doesn't mean you're the most, you know, you're the most of anything, you know, it's kind of like this subjective word that um, has a, this all encompassing a holistic meaning, you know, mm -hmm. do you think this labor cup he did and like trying to do more for the sport? Um, do you think he's trying to be, the greatest uh, or like leave some kind of legacy um, because he is pretty sure he, he won't, his slam record will get surpassed. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. What do you think? Cause I, I, I feel like he can do the labor cup, but I don't think it'll change his legacy really. I think, I don't know, but I, I actually, I don't, I don't know Roger. So mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? Well, I, it was just a thought that occurred to me just now that uh, he thinks that his record um, is going to get passed, but he has done a lot for the sport of tennis in, in terms of uh, making it popular, uh, making people excited, uh, probably pushing Nadal and Djokovic to like improve even more. Absolutely, yeah. I would say... If Federer had the mental toughness of Djokovic, he would undoubtedly be the greatest because he would win that many more slams. But for some reason, I think Federer fans these days just get really frustrated because his tennis is very, like he has some very obvious good days and some obvious bad days. And you're stressed out by not knowing which kind of day it's going to be. Yeah. He's what, 38 or 39 now? He's 39 now. So, very close to 40 in August. Yeah. I remember crazy. I remember people were making a big deal when he turned 30. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a while since uh, he won his last. We were all in Kwin's basement. That was that was technically not his last time because he won Wimbledon oh. later that year. But that was that was oh, the last okay. time he had a remarkable, amazing victory, and it was mm-hmm. Rafa versus Roger, which right, right. Oh, yeah. Do you want to? You want to? You, you would you like to <laughs> recount that memory, Andy? Yeah, we were like all in uh, K Win's apartment, watching on a big screen, and um, it was like four a.m. or something Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, we were gonna probably go to church later, but uh, we were we were up very early, cheering him on. And it was it was so nerve wracking. Five sets. No, knowing that we had to wake up at two or two thirty to watch this, and I had to be at Kevin's apartment, I was very tempted to skip. <laughs> was I glad that I didn't skip? You bet. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that was and, stressful. And that was so stressful. Some beer. <laughs> I brought some beer. Yeah, to keep us going. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> we drank at like three a.m. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Uh, Eye opener. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty darn stressful because I think Nadal was up for a while and then Federer just came back in the fourth set. Then things yeah. looked bad in the fifth set and then he came back again. And I mean, yeah, like there's these videos about like, oh, Federer's backhand was on fire, but during the match, we were like on the edge of our seats. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But his backhand, yeah, did come in clutch. There was, there was some remarkable improvement there. And he had just come off of like a long-term knee injury or something. So I think people were questioning whether he could last, like last into the finals, which, yeah. Yeah. Which he did, obviously. Hmm. All right, so I think uh, I think the goat for us is recap. Goat for us is Feder, um, but at least for me personally, I think there is room for Djokovic to impress me. You know, he's been. You Federer know and- any Nadal fans or like people who think Nadal's the goat? I. Uh, I knew this one guy who was like, who told me Nadal was a goat, and he linked me to this article that statistically tried to prove why Nadal was the goat. Hmm. Yeah, but the thing. So about- they need to go into statistics. We we just have this <laughs> gestalt. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, gestalt is the you know, good word. Just holistic way of looking at things. The thing about Nadal, though, is. If you look at greatest as Grand Slams, and then suddenly, like, let's let's pretend that you rewind history and change the outcome such that clay was never a surface, then I think he would only have, like, single-digit Grand Slams, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but to be fair, clay is, a, clay is a surface of the tennis courts, so it's part of the game. It it is odd. Well, wasn't like tennis invented in France? I want to say I somewhere know. somewhere along those in- lines. George the Fifth invented. Oh, George the Fifth. 
Is that England then? So apparently, England. apparently, it says uh, it was invented in France in the 11th century, but it was designed and codified in England in the 1870s. Okay, and the the original surface is that grass. Let's take a look. I don't know, because if you know, we're saying like who's the best player on how it was originally designed <laughs> <laughs> hmm okay so it looks like original tennis involved hitting a ball with a bare hand and later with a glove although the racket <laughs> came in around the 16th century and playing in an enclosed area and it was only among oh, there were no boundaries back in the day <laughs> <laughs> it was only in it was only played among royalty in Europe um and then it says lawn tennis was invented in the UK. So I guess that's where grass comes in. I don't know what it was before. Yeah. I don't mean to get us off onto a tangent. Help. Yeah. Yeah. Cool when your tennis game with just bare hands. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of tangents, um, I want to do a follow-up from a previous episode because, Kaywin, uh did you say that you were considering psychiatry? Very much so, yes. Okay, so we didn't include Kaywin on this conversation because I didn't know this back then. But, um, Andy, what would you say well, to Kaywin uh, to well, persuade or dissuade him from going to psychiatry? I'm curious. Yeah, so so I almost left psychiatry and ended up uh, staying. I think psychiatry is a good field because it's kind of abstract. It uh, and there isn't quite a right answer. I, I feel like it is. Um, it satisfies a U Chicago mind because of all the hand waving and you know don't really know the right answer there isn't a right answer here we just lay out all the factors that could be contributing to a presentation um so so i i feel like it, it uses critical thinking however the stakes aren't too high um and the decision making isn't too intense yeah or too high pressure um like you're gonna start a med like a antidepressant or something like that but the side effects or the harm of doing that isn't too big and also the benefits aren't necessarily too big either they're not that effective um so i think you have to just be careful uh comfortable with a field like that um one thing was that a lot of it you don't have too many objective measures like uh in internal medicine you're like tracking this lab value oh potassium is low or something like that and you you can kind of know how to fix it. 
whereas it, it's a lot murkier in psychiatry. Hmm. Um, so, so that, that was probably during first year of uh, psychiatry. That was one thing I, I had to get comfortable with. I, I was not comfortable with it. That's why I kind of applied to neurology or a more objective based branch of medicine where you get imaging, you rely on that. Um, you can like pinpoint what, what the problem is probably. Um, but uh, I think you sacrifice some of that. Uh, I think you, you have a better lifestyle in, in uh, psychiatry. Um, and people, I think people do benefit from the medication or the interventions. People do get better. Neurology, I think a lot of things are chronic diseases that are relapsing and remitting like MS and not going to get better too, too much or stroke is devastating. Um, but uh, the bread and butter of psychiatry is anxiety, depression, OCD, which I think there are pretty good medications for. Hmm. Um, I guess schizophrenia is kind of like the cancer of getting cancer when you're 30. Um, cause it's kind of, it can be debilitating or if you don't have a family around you, um, you might end up homeless. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, what's on top of my head about caution about going into psychiatry, but it's also a, a rewarding field. And I think you can balance your life with your work. Yeah, that was the cliff notes, basically. Wait, so Kevin, why are you considering psychiatry? Why do you like it? Yeah, I would say definitely for it. <laughs> Can I read that shirt again? Yeah. Uh, psychiatry. Oh, that's just college of medicine. <laughs> yeah, this is UIC. We have a, we got these extra large department shirts at the <laughs> holiday party. Nice. Yeah, I think partly for these shirts, but also, yeah, I, I, I do like, I do think the lifestyle is definitely a part of it. And um, knowing family members suffering from psychiatric issues being part of it and seeing how that can actually help them being a big part of it. The ability to go inpatient and outpatient and the high demand in this age. These are all the factors. Um, yeah, I guess I, I've also thought about something more hands-on. My other kind of polar opposite interest is in anesthesia right now. And besides the commonality of lifestyle and maybe like making patients comfortable, you know, it's very different. Hmm. I'm usually a listener, not much of a talker. And I think I just need to get more exposure to figure out in the actual practice what appeals to me more. Yeah, anesthesia. I thought, I think I thought about that a little bit. It's exciting to do like arterial sticks. Um, I actually did one in my first year on my internal medicine rotation. Um, mm -hmm. there were like, there was an 
internal medicine resident, a psychiatry resident, me, and and a uh, like a dentist, or oral maxillofacial surgery one, and we needed to get an A A line in, and uh, the medicine resident was struggling, and so I took it, and I was like, okay, I did this in my boot camp, and. <laughs> 45 degrees, boom. And I got it. Boom. And, and I, that, nice. that gave me a sick rush. And I was <laughs> like, wow, I can, I should go into internal medicine. <laughs> and then Emily quickly said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so, I mean, doing a procedure is a good rush, but uh, you do it over and over and over again. It might wear out. Mm. Right. Kaylin, are you considering any other fields besides psychiatry and anesthesia? Um, PNMR sounds interesting, and I think you can hear the similarity. <laughs> Wait, did did Emily say something, Andy? She said she was not that harsh, but it is a dumb thing to say. <laughs> uh, what's PNMR? Physiatry. Physical medicine and rehabilitation. Ah, huh, okay. Or plenty of medicine or plenty of money and relaxation. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, wait, weren't you thinking about geriatrics when you first came to med school, Kevin? Yeah, so without these three, you can, there is a potential to interact with a good amount of geriatric patients. So that's kind of one of the thinking behind these three as well. With psychiatry, there's, you know, you can do a geriatric fellowship. And I think some of my classmates, like, we do these, like, oh, what do you think each other is going to do? And I get that sometimes. Geriatrics, but psychi psychi psychiatry. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I did a lot of soul searching, I think, and I took my Myers-Briggs and the double AMC has like, oh, if you're a certain Myers-Briggs, you should consider these four things. And so I was like INTJ, INTP somewhere in there. And it told me like pathology, internal medicine, neurology, and psychiatry. Hmm. So that's, that's another thing that could uh, give you ideas. Yeah. Makes sense. I definitely would consider the other three too. <laughs> yeah. Too early to tell. I'm doing an addiction medicine elective um, in October, November. I remember Andy, you were talking about that being a more evidence-based field. I like addictions. Yeah. It, yeah. it incorporates a lot of like motivational interviewing. If um, motivational you're into that. Interviewing. I like motivational interviewing. It's it's kind of an art of getting people to change with them thinking they're doing the changing and they don't feel like you're pulling them or they don't like put up their walls instantly. Uh, and yeah, it is more evidence-based, I think. And, and also neurobiologically well understood. Mm hmm. Do you lean towards like the therapy side of psychiatry? Do you like to do those? 
I feel like therapy is more hands-on actually. I feel like I am the one doing the intervention. So mm-hmm. it gives me, I think, a little more personal status, satisfaction. Um, so yeah, it, doing therapy uh, appeals to me because uh, I liked hands-on stuff like cutting hair and stuff. So uh, you feel like you're doing surgery on the mind. <laughs> That's hmm. the way to put it. Interesting. All right, guys. Well, this has been great talking about the goats of tennis and about psychiatry. Um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to come back when Kaywin you actually apply to residency and figure out your specialty. You're um, at the beginning of your third year. Almost at the beginning of my third year. That's wait, crazy. Wait, you're you're not done with? Oh, you're not in your third year yet. I mean, it, the difference is, it doesn't really make a big difference, like, it's all just technicalities. I might as well say I'm a third year now. And with step one, pretty much a third year. Okay, I was confused because I know you did your OB guy rotation, but, yeah, anyway. Oh, I really enjoyed that too, but we can save it for another day. <laughs> all right, let's save it for another day. Until then, see you next time. Yeah, thanks, right. Alan. Bye. All right, thanks, bye. Guys. Bye.